Issues Etc. is listener-supported. We rely on you for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Now, if you appreciate Issues Etc., please consider making a tax-deductible gift today. You can make a secure online contribution at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for your support. That is the hymn, Lord of Our Life. It is, in fact, the hymn that many will be singing this coming Sunday if they attend church where the one-year lectionary guides the reading of Scripture, the gospel reading here, an embarrassment of riches for a preacher. We have Jesus talking about the kingdom that is divided against itself, cannot stand. He talks about the stronger man who binds the strong man. Whoever is not with me is against me. We have the little parable of the return of the unclean spirit and some famous words blessed are those who hear the word of god and keep it and jesus is characterized by his enemies in the gospel reading from uh, luke chapter 11 for this coming sunday as the prince of demons or at least he's in league with the prince of demons Joining us for our Looking Forward to Sunday Morning one-year lectionary series that continues on this Tuesday afternoon, March the 3rd, Pastor David Peterson will be with us in just a minute. We are coming to you from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going to do our little series on Looking Forward to Sunday Morning. We'll be in in Luke's Gospel, our intro at Psalm 25, and the other propers of the day, including what you heard there, the hymn of the day, Lord of Our Life. A little bit later, Dr. Craig Evans will be with us. We're going to talk about whether or not Jesus' childhood home has actually been found. Some archaeologists believe they have found it. We'll see what he thinks about that. And then we'll be responding to evangelical proof text with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. John chapter 1 in the prologue where it talks about those who are born again are born not of the will of man or of the flesh, but of God. What does that say to so-called decision theology? That'll be the last half hour or so of issues, etc. Pastor David Peterson joins us for looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, welcome back. Thank you. My pleasure. This gospel reading, as I said, an embarrassment of riches for the preacher. You've got all this stuff packed into a relatively short amount of verses, 14 verses. How does a preacher go about picking what direction to go with this? Well, first of all, he needs to seek to understand the whole thing and understand how it's put together, the context of all of these sayings, how they relate. And then ultimately, uh, he just needs to apply his art (laughs) to it. I think sometimes we kind of overstate the pastoral side of it, uh, as though the preacher somehow knows what his people need to hear. I think that's pretty arrogant. We don't, I mean, we know they need to hear about Jesus, but uh, outside of that, you know, we're, uh, it's really more of a decision of, uh, of how to bring out one idea, one theme that's going to fit and that's going to uh, rightly expose 
the love of God in Christ Jesus for the people that Sunday from the text, but you can't do everything. So the best sermons are those sermons that actually have a tight focus and a theme, a good thesis statement, that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't guide the preacher, uh, but, uh, you know, it's ora et labora. There, there's the labora part of it. There, there's the actual work that needs to be done, and sometimes he just has to choose one thing. And it's the more disciplined preachers, and I think the more mature preachers that are better at that, uh, the students try to cover everything, you know, because it's like they're one shot. But as a hearer, I think we appreciate it when it's distilled down for us. So in this in this coming gospel reading, Jesus is going to occasion a lot of opposition to himself by doing something that he's done in the gospels before. He casts out a demon. This is a, a demon that is rendered a a man mute. How does he then come into line for all of the criticism, even uh, the criticism that he is in league with Satan himself? Well, they, they just simply respond in wickedness. So he casts out, casts out the demon, and then they respond that he does this. Some of the people are marveling, uh, and then others in the crowd says he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, and others uh, seeking to tempt him or test him want a sign from heaven, uh, which is just sort of demonstrates they're never going to accept anything, quite obviously, if they, they can't accept uh, a casting out of a demon or any of the miracles he's performing on earth. So it, it is definitely hostility on their part. And uh, in Matthew's Gospel, we have a parallel account. Maybe it's a different uh, time, uh, or maybe it's the same healing. But uh, you, you get the same sort of thing where they just simply respond to his love with this hatred. And then he, and then he launches into this, as you said, kind of, kind of uh, rich speech, uh, where many of the important passages of Scripture that... Uh, he starts out, well, first of all, let's talk about Beelzebul, because sure. that's an interesting word. Uh, that they, they throw at him this kind of funny thing. It's literally the Lord of the Flies. So if you loved that book, now you know that's the devil that's uh, possessing those boys. The Lord of the Flies, or the God of the Dunghill. Um, so he's the Lord of Hell, because Hell is Gehenna, outside Jerusalem. So that's where the refuse and the excrement burns day and night, and the dogs are yipping at one another, and the flies. So the Lord, of the, the Lord of the flies is Satan himself. It's a term of derision for the devil, for the, for the one who tempted Eve. Uh, and then, of course, in a kind of weird way, this term of derision for the devil gets turned to be a term of derision to the Lord. Uh, and it's a horrible blasphemy. And they do actually call him directly Beelzebul himself in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 10, uh, Jesus says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So I think we also get something of the hint there from Matthew and the connection of, of one of the ways that this gospel is kind of unfolding in terms of the whole season. So definitely a, a theme of Lent, this is the third Sunday in Lent, is this spiritual warfare idea, and we saw this, it's been, it's been focused on the demonic uh, threats that the Christian faces, with the temptation of Jesus, and then the Syrophoenician woman, who, or the Canaanite woman, who comes and her daughter's possessed by a demon. And now, and now we're seeing uh, also how it's going to kind of unfold for the individual Christian, that we are also going to suffer um, not only these attacks from demons, 
But the people that are calling Jesus Beelzebul are not demons, they're people. And so we have the, the sinful world against us also, and this kind of mocking. And I, I think we can definitely expect that this seems to be on the rise in our own context in the United States, that uh, those who are protecting the lives of the unborn are now called bigots. Uh, so there's this reversal, the calling of good evil and of evil good. So that whole Beelzebul thing, th- th- there's a lot going on there. I, I want you to talk about that a bit because it is, of course, the context in which we live. It always has been. Uh, and your examples there are, are pointed. Uh, this notion that it is Christ himself that uh, uh, that occasions this irrational response of calling something that is manifestly good. Here is someone healed of muteness and very obviously under the oppression of the devil and they say, no, that's the devil's work. That not that the es- essence of, of uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Right, and that's the, it doesn't happen in Luke's Gospel, but in Matthew's Gospel, uh, as Jesus goes down the same context, uh, the kingdom divided the stronger man, uh, he says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even in this, either in this age or in the age to come. So it, it, is, it is the occasion in our Lord's ministry that he, that he speaks about this. And I think that uh, you're absolutely right then. That what they're doing here in calling Jesus Satan or in league with Satan this is the sin against the Holy Spirit. And the sin against the Holy Spirit bothers a lot of people. Uh, and the first thing we ought to notice is that if you're bothered by it, you're not guilty of it. People that are guilty of the sin against the Holy Spirit, like Pharaoh, don't care. Uh, they're, they're, they're satisfied with it. They're happy with it. The sin against the Holy Spirit is to have it revealed to you by the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, to recognize it, to know that it's true, and yet to choose deliberately anyway uh, to reject the Holy Spirit, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, to say, no, the Holy Spirit's evil. So it's, a very, it's not just a falling away of faith. It's, it's choosing an evil path. Talk about the, these five sayings that we've mentioned here briefly, beginning with uh, one that is often attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but is in fact... Christ himself with a far deeper meaning than just, you know, uh, a country can't continue if we can't maintain uh, unity. What is Jesus saying when he talks about the kingdom that is divided against itself? Well, here's what he says. Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Um, So the, the, the first sort of thing we're getting there, he can't be in league with Satan if he's openly fighting Satan. Uh, and the un- unspoken accusation here, of course, is that since they aren't fighting Satan, they are in league with Satan. Uh, the kingdom of God has come to them, but they ref- refuse to receive it. Uh, in the first part of Luke 11, so just a few verses before, Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. 
And there he teaches them to pray, thy kingdom come. So here we see the kingdom of God has come upon them in the casting out of demons. And of course, they reject it. Luke has this finger of God. Matthew doesn't have that. And that's an interesting expression also. Only used four times in the Bible, uh, three times in the Old Testament, and then only here in the New. In Exodus 8, uh, which is going to be the Old Testament reading for this coming Sunday, the magicians, uh, Pharaoh's magicians, use the term to describe how Moses is causing these plagues. Uh, That is that it's by the finger of God, and they cannot duplicate those particular plagues. So it's it's the finger of God causes plagues. Then in Exodus 13, and then again in Deuteronomy 9, it's used for the finger of God wrote the law on the stone tablets. So the finger of God causes plagues and then gives the Ten Commandments, gives the law. And then in Luke 11, as we just heard, Jesus says he's casting out demons by the finger of God. So uh, the point would be here is that Jesus casting out demons is the fulfillment of the law and is a plague on hell. He has the authority to do this. He tells them to go, and they go. While Pharaoh's heart, of course, is hard because he's committed the sin against the Holy Spirit, so also the hearts of the hostile crowd in Luke and the Pharisees in Matthew are definitely in danger of committing the sin of the Holy Spirit uh, because they're hardening themselves against the Lord. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year set of readings on this Tuesday afternoon, March the 3rd. We're talking about the gospel reading of Jesus casting out a demon that caused a man to be mute and the accusations that pile up against Jesus and his response. We'll be right back. Bethany Lutheran College is pleased to sponsor Issues Etc. and Lutheran Public Radio. Bethany Lutheran College is located in the picturesque river town of Mankato, Minnesota, and is committed to making Christian higher education affordable for all with generous financial aid packages available. At Bethany, you'll find stimulating academic programs, a friendly atmosphere, and opportunities to grow both in intellect and in your faith, all within the framework of a supportive Christian environment. For more information, visit us on the web at BLC. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at LutheranPublicRadio.org. Sacred music for the season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. Providing artillery support for the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc. Pastor Will Whedon, on his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case conference, making the case for a Lutheran approach to the church fathers. The thing that really uh, is wonderful is to be able to read them as the witnesses that they are to the saving gospel of Christ to deburden them from infallibility. Nobody believes they're infallible. Everybody agrees that there are things in them that they don't agree with. But the the reading of the fathers itself can be a huge help in light. If people have walked the terrain you walked before and made a map, it might be worthwhile to consult it before you head out in the same terrain. And in that way, their work through the scriptures has been most beneficial to the church across time. 
You can meet and hear Will Whedon June 19th and 20th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, just look for the Making the Case logo at our homepage, issuesetc.org, or call hymn of the day for this coming Sunday, Lord of Our Life, stands at two. Pastor David Peterson is our guest on this Tuesday, March the 3rd. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year set of readings, the one-year lectionary. He's Pastor Redeemer of Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and editor of Godestine's The Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. Before we leave behind that first saying that we find in the Gospel reading for this coming Sunday, I would like your, your brief thoughts on this idea of the finger of God, not only as you gave it before the break in its Old Testament context as, as judgment, really, on unbelief, but also on a way of describing, a poignant way of describing the Incarnation, that Jesus himself is literally, his finger is the finger of God. Yeah, um, I hadn't actually thought of that, but of course it is. Uh, he actually, God, even as God now has a face, a human face, so we can have graven images, uh, he also has a finger. Uh, and he's actually laying his finger on people to drive out demons and heal them. Let's talk about the stronger man. What do we find there in that gospel reading? Okay, Jesus says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. Uh, they've accused him of being in league with Satan, but he's, he, he's explicit here. He's come to defeat Satan, he's stronger than Satan, and he's come into the world as a warrior to attack Satan and take away what Satan trusts in order to take the spoils of Satan. So Satan is guarding humanity. They are his treasure, his palace, the thing that he wants to keep. And he trusts in his armor. Well, the armor of Satan is tempting human beings into sin. Uh, He thinks that they're safe there because uh, if you eat of this, you will surely die. But the Lord is stronger in his grace than Satan is in his hate, and he takes away the sins of the world. Therefore, he takes away Satan's armor in where he had hidden himself, that which he trusted, and then he gives the, the human beings to his father. Uh, it's, a, it's quite a marvelous parable. The other thing, of course, I think that we ought to notice is that as long as Christ isn't there, there is a false peace. Uh, there's no problem. Satan's kingdom's at peace before Christ comes to take it. And sometimes our fallen flesh longs for that false peace when we could just sort of pretend like everything was okay. The church militant is that's us, the church that's still on earth. We're always fighting. The church triumphant is the church in heaven. Uh, and some of the fighting of the church militant is internal. There's never yet been a set of brothers who didn't punch each other at some point in their lives. And the church is no different. It always kind of cracks me up when people are shocked by the church's fighting. They say, but we're brothers. And I say, well, don't you have any brothers? <laughs> anyway, we have three enemies the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. 
And that works itself out not only on the individual level, but also on the corporate level. So we shouldn't be scandalized. I'm not saying we should rejoice in it. It's, it's part of the fall. But we shouldn't be scandalized that Christians behave badly and that the church suffers, whether it's the congregation or the church body or, just, or the divisions within Christendom, that uh, the church suffers from infighting. Uh, the peace that Satan offers is not the peace of God that passes all understanding. It's a human peace that's forged with false doctrine and lies. That, that satanic peace that we are all, all, almost always tempted toward together in the church, that is to, because it is so messy, painful, um, and often is, is a tremendous way God exposes our own sin, uh, to contend over truth, Satan would prefer us to just kind of live and let live. He is He's, he tempts us toward tolerance, doesn't he? Absolutely. This, the God, our God is a jealous God, and, and Satan is, Satan's not jealous at all. <laughs> He's completely willing to share the stage. He doesn't want to be the God. He just wants to be one of the gods. And uh, he's totally tolerant, totally nice. Uh, and that's, that's, of course, always the temptation. That, uh, that's what it looks like to the world and, and to us in our fallen flesh. But our God is a jealous God, and he doesn't allow that because, of course, Satan is a liar. I, I just love, uh, I've probably quoted it on here before, I just love the Charlie Daniels uh, Devil Went Down to Georgia bit because it's so phenomenal. That's an old legend in, Western, uh, in the Western civilization, Faust, you know, Daniel Webster, all this stuff. But I love the line in there where Johnny says, it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet, right? Well, this, of course, he's got it. And then, of course, in the story, Johnny wins. He outfiddles the devil, and he gets the fiddle of gold, and the devil goes away defeated. Well, it's perfect, because, of course, the devil wasn't defeated at all. The devil won, because he trapped Johnny into sin, he deluded him, he seduced him, and he'll gladly pretend like he lost and give the stupid fiddle of gold, because when Johnny dies, Johnny's going to hell. And uh, it's, a, it's a marvelous treatment in a horrible way of, of how we how we think we outsmart Satan, but we don't. He's smarter than we are. He knows, he knows how to appeal to us. Let's talk a little bit about uh, this, whoever is not with me, which flows beautifully from that notion of Jesus himself talking about, look, this is, this is, I am a dividing line in this world between Satan and salvation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here he says, if you're not with me, you're against me. There's no fence riders, there's no neutral persons, there's no nice, tolerant people who, who can worship Jesus and the devil and uh, a God they call Allah and so forth. And the Lord is really looking over the heads at this point of the, of the hostile people that are, te- that are wanting to tempt him or that are calling him Beelzebul, and he's looking at the bystanders that are standing there and are sort of not committing, um, and then in a sense toward us that uh, if they don't choose the Lord's side, if they try not to choose, they belong to the demons. And, and now the accusation that was sort of uh, not spoken in the beginning, that I'm not the one in league with Satan, you are, is really becoming, it's being spoken now. Uh, the, the next thing he talks about, it's a beautiful two-verse parable that uh, talks, that is, it's so depressing. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's it's about what he's just done that is casting out demons, but it ends with the man's fate being worse than the beginning. 
Right, and we see that in the book of James, that it's worse, it's worse to have known Christ and rejected him than never to have known him at all. And here the threat is, get rid of one demon and get seven more. Again, there are no neutral parties. You can't, you can't be in between. You either... I don't mean... That when we have an exorcism at baptisms, and that sometimes bothers people, we don't have exorcisms at baptisms because we believe that the babies have a demon living inside of them that's controlling them. Rather, we understand biblically that the baby is under influence and threat of demons. That's, that's, what we, that's the demons we're driving away. And the truth is, you either are influenced by demons, you either have a demon, or you have Jesus. There are no neutral persons. Now, don't, don't hear in that that, you know, people, that there's demons living inside people that are throwing them into fires and so forth. There could be that that kind of demon possession we see in the scriptures, this demon in the text was making the man mute. But uh, there, are other, there are other influences of demons, and you're going to be... You're going to be under the Holy Spirit, or you're going to be under an evil spirit in one way or another. So how does this last part fit in with everything that Jesus has, has said before about, um, about uh, the house divided? He's talked about um, taking over the, the stronger man or robbing the stronger man of his protection and then plundering his goods. He's made himself the dividing line between Satan and salvation, and then he even, as you said, it speaks this little parable that is of a warning to people who have at one time known Christ. How does this last one fit in? Blessed are those who hear. Well, the first thing is, textually it says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice. So, I mean, it, it, it is part of the same thing, and sometimes our Bibles divide it there. The lectionary does a nice job keeping it together. This is the context for the remarks. While he's saying all that terrible stuff. She says, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed, which sounds very pious and nice, and, and of course it's not, it's not false statement. Uh, St. Mary, the womb that bore him and the breasts that he nursed at, she is blessed, uh, and we thank God for her. He responds, though, by kind of contradicting it or building on it, moreover, or rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So it's not enough to simply be physically near Jesus uh, and to receive the benefits of creation. That's not enough. That's not to be truly blessed and to be blessed into eternity. Uh, To be blessed in eternity, to be truly blessed by God, again, is to have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes through the Word of God and through the sacraments, the things that he has given. And there's a really great play with this word keep. Um, Unfortunately, in English, that sounds like obey. And I think sometimes people hear, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey the commandments. They're the blessed people. But that is not what this says. In fact, the word that's used here is the same word that's used of Satan guarding his uh, palace or his house, farm, however we translate that. So you've got this, uh, this parallel. He's guarding us, and he's overcome by Satan, or he's overcome by the Lord, And now Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God, and they guard that. It doesn't mean obey it. It means they hold it, they love it, they treasure it, they protect it, they embrace it. That's what we do with the word of God. That's what Christians do, including the law. Even though the law is accusing us, it's exposing our sins, the Christian uh, receives the cross of the law, the accusation, the condemnation even, and says, yes, Lord, uh, like last week, those Canaanite woman, yes, Lord, fine, I'm a dog. I deserve death. 
but you are the Lord of mercy. <laughs> so it, it is this trusting and acceptance that God is good, that his word is true, and waiting to see, because we know the other side of the law, we know the gospel, and we know that God has come into the flesh in order to redeem us and save us and rescue us. And Jesus says those are the people that are truly blessed and blessed forever. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, on this Tuesday afternoon. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, looking at that gospel reading in Luke chapter 11. We'll be right back. The devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, Boy, let me tell you what. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana at issuesetc.org. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel, live weekday mornings, 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. In Hosea 4, we read, My people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. At the CLCC, we educate Lutherans on being Lutheran. The Confessional Lutherans for Christ's Commission treasure our Lutheran beliefs and think that all Christians would if they learned what we believe, teach, and confess. Visit our website at theclcc.org. See what we have to offer. Get on our mailing list, or better yet, join us and encourage your pastors to hold an event in your area. For more information, go to theclcc.org. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and lay people worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology through conferences, scholarly exchanges, and publications like Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up for their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com He's the most Lutheran man in the world. I'm not always in Pensacola, Florida, but when I am, I attend Emmanuel Lutheran Church. Congregation of Emmanuel Lutheran Church of Pensacola, Florida, invites you to join us for divine services on Sundays at 8 or 10.30, Sunday school and Bible class at 9.15. Whether you're in Pensacola to enjoy the white sandy beaches of the Emerald Coast or for military training, we invite you to join us. Jesus is here. Word, water, bread and wine for you. Emmanuel, God with us. Stay Lutheran, my friends. The cross is our theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. I think every man, every Christian should consider, at least, the possibility of God calling him into the holy ministry. Issues Etc. regular guest, Dr. Carl Fakencher of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Because that's the way that God has designed for faith in Christ Jesus to be spread, for the gift of eternal life that Christ Jesus earned by his death and resurrection to be shared with people, by the washing of baptism for infants and for adults, for the instruction, the proclamation of the word that happens uh, on a nonstop basis in God's kingdom. God uses people, he uses men, to be those proclaimers, to be those men who who share the, the sacraments. If you've ever considered becoming a pastor, contact Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Their phone number, 1-800-481-2155, 1-800-481-2155, or visit ctsfw.edu. Lord, be 
third stanza of the hymn, Lord of Our Life. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. We're talking a little bit in looking forward to this Sunday morning about really spiritual, true spiritual warfare, and Jesus shows us how it is on the battlefield. That battlefield exists today in every one of our lives, especially in the lives of our young people who leave the comforts and the security of home to go to college or university. And there on the campus, there is a battle waging for the souls of men, for their minds and their souls. And the devil is there waging his side of the battle, a great resource for your college age or university aged kid or grandkid is LCMSU. They connect those college and university students to solid Lutheran resources and to solid Lutheran congregations and pastors. Find out more about LCMSU, lcms.org slash lcmsu, lcms.org slash lcmsu. David, one thing before we leave behind the gospel reading and talk about the other propers for the day, and that is Jesus... I'm struck that the woman kind of wants to pay him this huge compliment by saying, you know, blessed are you, Jesus, or blessed is everything around you. And Jesus kind of turns that away. And it is reminiscent of last Sunday's gospel reading where a woman seeks something from him and he turns her away. Talk about the kind of difficult, thorny Jesus that we have during this season of Lent. Well, he's, again, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. Uh, and we don't control him, and we don't uh, flatter him and get our way. Uh, she says something that's completely legit, but uh, it's a moment of, I mean, it's, I don't know if we want to call it a rebuke exactly, it's pretty gentle, but, but nonetheless, there is a correction there, that, that, and this fits very, very Lenten-like, that he's redirecting her attention. You, you know, she's not looking at completely the wrong things, but she's not looking at quite the right thing. And that's always the correction we need. Well, that kind of leads beautifully into the, the intro for this coming Sunday, which, again, we are in Psalm 25, and the Sunday's named for the Antiphon. Take us into that. Well, it's uh, the Antiphon from uh, verse 15 of Psalm 25. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. And uh, the first five Sundays in Lent take their names from the antiphons, the, the, that verse around the intro that's repeated uh, from the first words in Latin. So, aculi means my eyes. It's, uh, it's really, it's setting the mood, uh, the, particularly the antiphon, that my eyes are ever toward the Lord. Uh, it's setting the mood of the strong man's spoils, that we are captives to some degree of the devil, and uh, we want the stronger man to come and pluck us out of this net. Uh, Psalm 25:20, which is in the body of the intro, it also is really nice because we say to God, "Guard my soul and deliver me." So we don't want the devil guarding us; we want to be guarded by Him. And of course, that's the word that was also used to the woman—that uh, those who hear the word of God and guard it or protect it. And it is one or the other, hearkening back to one of the sayings in the gospel reading: "We are either uh, a treasured right. possession of 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 Christ or of Satan." Right. And, and uh, we're also uh, coveted by Satan. I mean, he, he wants to steal us back. So that's part of what, the threat that's always there. The Old Testament reading, you made uh, reference to it. Uh, it's part of, in Exodus 8, part of the, the plagues that God meets out against Egypt. Take us into it. 
Right. Well, we have there. We have the. Uh, they want to. Pharaoh wants them to duplicate this miracle of the flies, and they can't do it. And they recognize that this is actually the true and the living God. Yet the thing behind all the plagues is this whole. It, it's such a fascinating account because Moses says, uh, "Please let my people go." Initially, go out into the go out into the desert and worship our God, and then we'll come back and work for you. But the way we worship our God is by sacrificing your gods to our God, because they're, they're worshiping these idols, these animals. So there's this insulting thing. And our God is the living God. He's the real one. That's what the word Yahweh means. He's the one who is, and your gods aren't. So Pharaoh's really on the chopping block there. Uh, and of course, as we, as we know famously, he, he refuses. And uh, he'd rather go to hell than stop being pharaoh and worshipped as a god on earth you, you spoke earlier about the troubling what often troubles uh, people when they hear about say the sin against the holy spirit the blasphemy against the holy spirit and another element of that it's actually related to it quite closely that troubles christians sometimes is this notion of the hardened heart how do i know if my heart is hard and if god hardens my heart and how how could god harden my heart i, th- I thought he's supposed to want my salvation how do you sort all of that out pastorally well, I think it's pretty clear with Pharaoh that he hardens his own heart in the beginning. And then what happens is God hardens his heart further so that he'll become a caricature of unbelief and of sin to the point of, that he's just completely ridiculous. Uh, and he's, God is making an example of him and showing what, really, what sin and what unbelief really are, how unreasonable. Um, Lutherans are always, you know, we're against reason. We're not against reason. Reason is subject to faith. God is not unreasonable. We are. Um, and uh, we, we submit uh, to Scripture and to the Word of God what He's revealed to us. But there's nothing more unreasonable than unbelief. Uh, I mean, I just, just think of this, sort of the, the people that just insist upon evolution against the very obvious design that's around us. What's in the gradual? It comes from Psalm 9. We get, uh, arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. That's part of it, which is a really nice, I think, opening up again of this, that it's not just the demons, but it's also, uh, as it was against Jesus, it's people calling Jesus Beelzebul and then calling his followers Beelzebul, calling us that. And so we're, we're, we're looking. We're in danger of Pharaoh and the Pharisees and the hostile crowd. Uh, don't let them overcome us. You say that that... Um that the the gradual often functions as an answer to to the Old Testament reading, so that so that it it and I it's I sense that it, if you're paying attention this coming Sunday, you'll get that the plagues of Egypt and then this prayer is in essence from Psalm nine that follows it. Right. Yeah. The, I mean, it's a beautiful thing of how Scripture interprets Scripture. So we we always use that phrase. We talk about that. But liturgically, particularly, it does it because these passages from Holy Scripture, when they're set alongside of each other, really do bring out new light and uh, teach us to pray the Psalter differently, uh, help us to see deeper uh, into God's love, really. The epistle for this coming Sunday, Ephesians chapter 5, the first nine verses, you say we need to understand its context. What is it? Well, the problem is it starts with the word therefore. That always drives me crazy. Because the first word in verse 1, uh, therefore. Uh, the context is that the immediately preceding words are God in Christ forgave you. 
So it's God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, because of that, uh, be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So we, we definitely, it's just hard to start with therefore. Um, it's a law section. We're being called to recognize Christ as an example, very, very clearly. Be imitators of God, because Christ shows us uh, what it looks like to love God and love neighbor perfectly without holding anything back for ourselves, right? Jesus doesn't just give most of his money to the offering or, uh, you know, and keeping some, you know, a can of cream corn for himself at home in the cupboard. Uh, he, he does what isn't even possible for us, humanly speaking. He gives up everything. He dies naked on the cross. He's completely destitute. He gives right to his very last breath. Uh, and Paul says that. He gave himself up for us. So in St. Paul's admonition, uh, it, it, in, in pulling this out, it's very gospel-oriented, but it's a law section. He's telling us to be imitators, to be like Jesus, to serve our neighbor. And then the part that I think is most pointed for us today, uh, he gets into this uh, avoiding sexual immorality, covetousness, impurity, and then he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Uh, And he says, concerning this, let no one deceive you with empty words, as Eve was deceived, saying that God doesn't really care about the law or morality since he's forgiven us. (laughs) Sins have consequences and they cause damage. They hurt people. Because of these things, Paul writes, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I suspect that Christians who are interested in preparing for Sunday morning by listening to issues, etc., are probably not outwardly acting in the most notorious and horrible of ways, but are more prone to things like filthy talking and crude joking. Uh, And we should recognize that the way we talk is the way we think, and the way we speak corrupts and hurts our souls. It endangers our faith, and it can drag others down. It's a bad example. Or, if if we're speaking in crude joking and filthy talking and so forth, or if, as Paul calls us to, if we are instead uh, thanking God for what he has given and done for us, it can uplift the soul. There's power in words. And you see this in the gospel, it's, it's a, a bit of a connection, that the hostile crowd crudely calls Jesus Beelzebul, and they're doing that for a, they don't think he's Beelzebul, but it's, uh, it, it's like dropping the F-bomb for effect or for humor, just to get a crude laugh. And uh, it, words, again, matter, and uh, there are words that are unbecoming of Christians, and we ought to, uh, we ought to be careful in how we use them. So this kind of brings in the third part of Luther's, in terms of the propers for that day, the third part of Luther's unholy trinity. So the unholy trinity is the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. We see the devil in the one that's cast out of the mute man. We see the world in the crowd that's hostile to Jesus. And then really here in the epistle, we see that we've got to take this war inside ourselves also, because those aren't the only two things attacking us. We have the third, our fallen nature. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor David Peterson, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, editor of Godestines, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. Ten more minutes with him, and then Craig Evans will join us. We'll talk about his evaluation of an archaeological claim that perhaps the boyhood home of Jesus has been located. Stay tuned. 
we Lutherans were never aided by following along with some other tradition's theological priorities and catchphrases. Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Heath Curtis, coordinator for stewardship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod on a Lutheran approach to stewardship. Other folks are not approaching it from our good, solid Lutheran understanding of law and gospel and vocation. There's a place to talk about this in Christianity, and we have a way of talking about stewardship as Lutherans without ever using the word stewardship, if you like. I'm going to talk to you today about your vocation in your home, in your church, in your society, and how each one of these makes a claim on you, on your presence, on your support, on your prayers. That's how we should talk about this as Lutherans. You'll find several stewardship resources at lcms.org slash stewardship, lcms.org slash stewardship. Confessional Lutherans, we've got your back. You're listening to Issues Etc. In a world awash with all sorts of information, opinions, and ideas, there is still a place where God's Word is the central and only focus. Messiah Lutheran Church, 801 North Madison, Lebanon, Illinois. At 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings, God's people gather there to listen to Him. There you will find His words of law and gospel, and of course, our Lord's Holy Supper. Bible classes focus on the Bible and the Lutheran confessions. Come, listen, believe, and live, and check out our website at messiahlebanon.org. Those beautiful notes were just the beginning of We Praise You and Acknowledge You, O God, Concordia Publishing House's debut CD collection from Pastor Stephen Starkey, one of the most significant Lutheran hymn writers of our time. For a limited time, save 10% when you use promotional code URA. Simply visit cph.org today. Lutheran Thought, Lutheran Substance, Lutheran Music, brought to you by Concordia Publishing House. final stanza of the hymn, Lord of Our Life, the hymn of the day for this coming Sunday as we look forward to this coming Sunday. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor David Peterson is our guest for the next 10 minutes. He's editor of Godestinct, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. This is an excellent journal, and I strongly urge you to subscribe and to read it for yourself. You can find out more about Godestinct at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Listen on Demand. That brings us, David, to the hymn of the day, and you and you start. You want to start with a little bit of criticism for the latest version of this that we have produced here. You say something's been left out. Why? Well, they they left out. I mean, you know, they had all sorts of uh, difficulties they had to put up with, and compromises had to be made. But they dropped a stanza that we were used to from an older hymnal that reads, "Peace in our hearts, evil thoughts assuaging. Peace in Thy church, where brothers are engaging." Peace when the world that's busy war is raging, calm thy foes raging. Uh, I must have said something wrong. But anyway, I really miss that line of praying for peace in the church where brothers are engaging. 
Uh, again, like we talked about earlier with the uh, epistle, or uh, even in the Old Testament, that the, there is this reality of the church militant that's fighting, uh, and we need to pray for that, that we would fight for the right things, that we would fight uh, in the right way, um, and that we wouldn't become discouraged by that, because it's, it is a threat uh, to our sense of what's good and what's right. So, I don't know, we're going to sing the TLH version here this coming Sunday, so I would encourage you, if you can pull that off, to do it. So what else but do the, we find in that hymn? Yeah, I mean, of course, the hymn is stanza. The hymn's solid without it. Don't, don't, don't mishear me. Uh, because even without that stanza, which gets into the church militant suffering, you still get a very nice unpacking in LSB, the Lutheran service book, hymn 659, of the three, of the three things, the unholy trinity. Stanza 2 is explicit. Uh, it talks about the devil hurling his fiery darts, the enemy, uh, alluding to Ephesians 6, verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, says St. Paul, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So stanza two, we get the devil. Stanza three, Lord, be our light when worldly darkness veils us. Uh, so the, the sinful world that's attacking us. And then in stanza four, as we just heard uh, sung, uh, we ask for peace in our hearts uh, against our sinful thoughts. So it, it, it's seeing the devil, the world, and the sinful nature as things that need to be, that we need to combat with prayer uh, and with the Word of God. The, let's wrap this together. What is the, how would you bring all these things that have, and it is, as I said at the beginning, kind of the embarrassment of riches for both the hearer and the, and the preacher, but how would you bring all of this text from the gospel reading and the propers that attend it into a single thought, if we can? I think we want to say something probably about spiritual warfare this Sunday. Uh, the demonic is still at the forefront. That's the main enemy and the problem. But I think there's some uh, merit to mention or to, to recognize that we're also under attack from the world and from our sinful nature. I think I'll probably emphasize Jesus as the stronger man um, who delivers us from our enemies uh, though I always have a hard time not preaching on blessed are those who hear the word of God and, and keep it. Um, there's still, yeah, there's so, there's so many ways to go. It, it's really, it, it is a rich Sunday. Um, and the sermon, you know, can only be so long if the pastor wants to come back the next week. Talk a little bit about the general idea of spiritual warfare, which has emerged here over the courses of the Sundays in Lent. And the shape that it just kind of some pastoral thoughts, the shape that it takes in the life of the average Christian day by day, and then the the refuge that we have, the weapons that we have been provided by God in this spiritual warfare. Well, everything is sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. And so, really, we can't overemphasize uh, daily Bible reading, disciplined prayer, use of the Psalter, memorization of Holy Scripture, um, that, we should, that we replace the evil thoughts and the crude jokes and the filthy talking with, holy, with the words of Jesus and with the words uh, that he's given uh, to the inspired authors. So on a daily basis, it's the Word of God in prayer. Um, and then, of course, on a weekly basis, uh, we come and we, re- and we hear the Word of God and we are absolved and we are preached to and we have the... Uh, the camaraderie, the mutual consolation of the brethren, and, of course, central, we have the holy body and blood of Jesus 
for the forgiveness of our sins and the strengthening of our faith. The, and, and there really is an exorcism that's going on every week. That's the way spiritual warfare is conducted. It's with, just well, with only a minute in in that vein, I've often uh, thought that this is the, of the greatest comfort to a Christian who feels himself beset by the devil through temptation or the world or his sinful flesh. That we are given to participate in the very incarnation of Christ Himself there in the Lord's Supper. Your final thoughts on that with one minute. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a marvelous thing that God gives us a part in His kingdom. He doesn't need us to wage this war. He honors us with it. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. It's always a pleasure, David, and I look forward to next week. Thanks, Todd. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., we're going to take up a subject that really should raise our eyebrows. Has the childhood home of Jesus been found by archaeologists? Dr. Craig Evans will be our guest. And then we're going to respond to some evangelical proof texts. Actually take up a text in John chapter 1, verse 12, where John, in the prologue to his gospel, talks about how we are born again, how we are made children and heirs of God's kingdom. Does it happen through decision? Pastor Brian Wolfmiller will be our guest. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March is a book that's not in book form. It's in poster form. It's a very familiar and necessary book. It's Luther's Small Catechism. And it's been laid out in a giant poster by Concordia Publishing House, something you can put on the wall of your your homeschool, Sunday school, uh, church, any place any place that uh, the the catechism is properly found in home, in church, in classroom, is the place for this giant poster of Luther's small catechism from Concordia Publishing House. It has the entire text there laid out in a way that's very easily seen and received and read and studied and memorized. Find out more about the issues, etc., Book of the Month for March, the giant poster of Luther's small catechism at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, their toll-free number, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. One of the things that we see here from Christ in these gospel readings as we walk step-by-step step through the season of Lent is a Jesus who is deadly serious about the task that he has taken up on our behalf. He is deadly serious when dealing with the devil, with his own enemies, with those who would gainsay what he has come to do to save sinners. He is so serious about this, he will lay down his own life there on the battlefield of the cross. He will, as our substitute, be subject to death as only the Son of God can be subject to death, subjecting himself to the punishment for our sin, and then, since death could never and certainly no longer hold him, he rises again. That is the beautiful picture that we have of Jesus, the one who stands toe-to-toe with sin and death and the devil and prevails by his death and resurrection for us. I'm Todd Wilkin. More Issues Etc. right after this break. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. 
Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by joining the Issues Etc. 300. Emmanuel Lutheran, Alexandria, Virginia. Bethel Lutheran, Ballinger, Texas. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Eola, Texas. Beautiful Savior Lutheran, Bridgeton, Missouri. Christ Our King Community Lutheran, Costa Mesa, California. Lord of Life Lutheran, Plano, Texas. Christ Lutheran, Platte Woods, Missouri. Hope Lutheran, Sonora, Texas. Faith Lutheran, Azona, Texas. And Emmanuel Lutheran, Steger, Illinois. Find out how your church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to our website, issuesetc.org, and click support. When your congregation joins the Issues Etc. 300, we'll advertise your congregation on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org, click support, the Issues Etc. 300.